0: WNHHFM, New Haven's home for Community Radio. I'm Paul Bass inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make our community tick. Well, Steve Medic makes us tick in a lot of different ways, including charters and chords. Steve has been involved in politics for decades, and he's been recording albums of original music for, I guess, decades as well, just not as many decades. He has a new album out, and in the wake of Election night Day this week, he got involved in something that was so interesting that never makes the headlines. You never see it on TV. But I would argue that in our towns and community might matter more than the kind of personality arguments you read about at elections. Steve is an expert, maybe the expert in Connecticut, on city and town charters. That, and tell me if I'm saying this wrong, Steve. The Constitution, basically, for New Haven, Hamden, all the towns around that set the basic rules in which government can operate... There was a charter revision vote in four communities, including Hamden. Steve was the expert they brought in to draw up these proposals, and then voters decide whether to adopt them. It's always controversial after all that work. Hamden said yes. Hartford said yes. Fairfield said no, and Berlin said no. Meanwhile, Steve, while making government work in new ways, has new music, as I said. He has a new album called 1952, A Great Collage. I'm guessing that's your birth year. That is my birth year. So yep. we, got, we got a lot to talk about. Music mm-hmm. and politics, we're not as, as separate as we think. Steve
1: Mendick, welcome back to WNHH.
0: It's so nice to have you in the studio. It's good
1: to be back somewhere in society, kind of post, <laughs> post-pandemic. <laughs> yeah. still, still going a little slow, but it's good to be here, Paul.
0: Well, you know, a lot of people intu- uh, recorded nice music in the pandemic, and you did You did several
1: albums in the pandemic. I did five pandemic albums. Uh, five pandemic albums? Yeah.
0: Steve, you are the most prolific yeah. recording artist I know.
1: I have a uh, series. Well, I did one called Are We There Yet? Uh, the, album, Remember that the, one. the cover was me with the mask. And and uh, then I, <laughs> I've done two uh, two of the four. I've actually created a project during the pandemic called Demos Are These, Volume 1 through 3, 4 through 6. And I'm working on 7 through 9 uh, right now. Now that we've finished 1952, I'm working on the next Demos Are These album, which is going to coincide with my political commentary on 2022. Oh,
0: boy, that sounds really good. Let's talk about 22 politics because yeah. we'll wait to the second half of this episode to actually, listen to some of the music you did. Yeah. I still love one of my favorites, is um, Someone's Got to Fight This War. It's a great anthem Thank you. for like political. And also, you have a great one about uh, Salvation Alley, where uh, you actually <laughs> revolves a lawyer tricking Yale yeah. outsmarting Yale, not tricking yeah, them. Not they tricking were trying Yale. to trick you. They were trying to trick So us. that we could have. They're the trying reason, to bully us, I think. The reason we have a Call Sheep Music Hall, which is one of our great venues in New yeah. Haven, it's really. Added to our cultural life, one of the biggest new ways in the last 10 years was because you figured out as a lawyer how to ha- find an egress yeah. to make it, fi- to conform with fire safety rules so yeah. that Yale would have to live with a wonderful... Well, it was a theater. combination of me control. and my,
1: my client, Keith Mahler, who is a uh, uh, about as wise uh, a guy I know in the business. He's savvy. Guy, he's very savvy, very smart. Yeah. Very savvy, very smart. And uh, we figured this out and we were able to uh, open it up. It's one of my... Um, one of the things in uh, my practice I'm most proud of is being involved with College Street, because it's kind of a bookend, Paul. You knew me uh, back in the day as an alder. And, 1980s. Uh, the 1980s. Uh, I was elected in 81 to the Board of Aldermen, and at, at, which it was called at the time. And one of my first projects on the Board of Alders was um, the entertainment. Right, Schubert. Schubert and the Palace, which is the College Street Music Hall. and. Um, and I, well, all those the old years Robert later,
0: human theater back in the vaudeville and movie days. Exactly,
1: and all these years later, I was lucky enough to uh, know Keith a bit. Um, both grew up in we both grew up right? Waterbury. He was a he was a little boy. I was a big boy. I, I love the Waterbury scrappers. I feel like you guys
0: have like this sort of less pretentious, real life grit to you that. Those of us from New Haven and where I come from, White Plains, aren't the
1: same. Yeah, Waterbury is, uh, you know, in fact, I won't get into the details of of a conversation I had with the same official that uh, we wrote that song about, uh, (laughs) uh, made a disparaging remark about my client's birthplace, not realizing it was mine as well. Ooh, and uh, it was a
0: kind of saying like you and I are sort of the elite Yale type, so yeah. we won't let this guy come yeah, in. Yeah, but and I have pointed out hall on Yale's I, uh,
1: entertainment. District. I pointed out that he was not born to a white shoe family, so it, it all uh, worked out the same way. But it was, uh, uh, but I'm very proud of the work I've done with with Keith Mahler and uh, the New Haven Center for Performing Arts. And the other uh, interconnect um, in that relationship is with uh, the Westville Music Bowl. Uh, this is I the was,
0: second music venue you guys put together yeah. in the last few years. You know what strikes me about both those places? Mm. I mean, Keith Mahler gets in wonderful acts. Yes. And he teamed up with someone much younger than he, so he kind of has the Baby Boomers and the Gen Xs, Gen Z. But it's about the quality of sound. Like, I don't pretend for any, Absolutely. for two seconds, to know audio. I'm not an expert. But here's what I know from sitting in those places. The sound is perfect in a way you wouldn't notice if it weren't perfect, um, I, First, I went because I'd been to the palace before I was reborn as a costume music hall. I saw him doing the work like at warp speed, and I noticed how good the sound was that it, you don't feel overwhelmed. Your ears, you, I like sound to be loud, and it's loud. But you don't, it doesn't hurt and it doesn't all blend it's indistinguishably. Very clean, very you hear clean. the guitar licks, you hear the vocals. Yeah. And then at the Westville Music Bowl, which is an outdoor venue, which is so challenging. Again, and again, you worked with the neighborhood and I work, live in the neighborhood. I wish I heard the music more. I kind of like free music. But um, <laughs> he wanted to make sure it didn't blow out the neighbors. But when you're sitting in that West yeah. Westville Music Hall, so i like she die there, you can hear again. It's loud enough that you feel the experience of being enveloped by music. You don't want it to be, you have to strain to hear it. You want to be lost in the music. Exactly right. But you're not overwhelmed or overpowered. You got the power, but you're not overpowered. So again, even outdoors with a lot of people talking with ambient noise from the street, you're hearing the guitar licks. You're hearing the vocals. You're hearing the way it blends together while each part still has its distinctive sound.
1: And it's a a remarkable venue. How does he do that? Uh, he just brings in the right people. It's something he's very discerning about. Uh, because it's
0: usually wrong.
1: When you hear music live, it's usually not perfect.
0: He's and you gone, understand that's part of it. Yeah,
1: he's he, he's gone to great lengths to bring in the right audio people. Um, he's a student of the business. He's, Keith's been doing this. Uh, he'll call in to correct me if I'm wrong. Um, since he was a teenager, he I, I started booking concerts in Waterbury, Connecticut, and our hometown. I wasn't around when he was doing that. I was gone but um, he's a student. He's, he, I think above everything, Keith loves music. Yeah. So he's doing this for all of us, but I also think part of him is doing it for himself. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, a, it's a really wonderful So wonderful Steve, land. the way
0: you got involved there is you were the lawyer helping you with municipal rules, municipal law, so he got yeah. the permissions. And charters is one of your expertise. You've yep. done municipal law since, what, the 70s?
1: Well, I, I wasn't practicing in the 70s, Paul. I was just uh, uh, a wee bit, bit bit young young to do that. But I, I became a lawyer in the early 1980s. And uh, But I had been involved in municipal government uh, as a young person. And, but still,
0: that's 40 years you've been doing municipal yeah. law. Oh, yeah, how sure. how did
1: you develop an expertise in charters?
0: Well, and why do they uh, matter? Because well, the, the average person doesn't understand that charters matter.
1: Well, it's funny because one day I was talking to somebody about the work i was doing and somebody heard that i was a chowder lawyer and i said uh, <laughs> and they said new england or uh, <laughs> manhattan chowder you tell them to clam up they huh? cuz clam up please you know uh when i was an alder um i and i was a young lawyer we didn't have municipal law uh, really as a subject matter in law school uh, i became an alder and i had to learn what the charter was uh, i knew it was the constitution I knew it was a guiding document for the work we did. I knew we had to comply with it, so I got to... Do Alders really read the charter? Well, I did. Uh, it was a little red book back in the 1980s. Mao's <laughs> Charter It's for like Mao's Charter for New Haven. And and uh, it was um, it was a very difficult document to read. Uh, not as, as not being a lawyer, I get so
0: confused looking at New Haven's charter or look stuff up. I always have to ask Tom Breen I work with or somebody else who's smarter than I am, like him. To like explain what the plain language is.
1: Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that we haven't cleaned it up m- enough. Uh, we may be doing it again this year. It's a 10 year cycle is coming up. But every and, 10 years, towns I, is that by some, charter that? That's you, by charter. It's uh, you, uh, you
0: could. It's only every
1: 10 years you could update. I guess no, no, that, no, 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 no. You can do it every year if you want. But with the provisions, the 10 year provisions are designed to say, don't wait 40 years. You need to look at your charter. So every, 10 years. every charter tells you to look at it every 10 and Not every charter. The charters that I've worked on that put these. Is that kind of a
0: theory of constitutional government and law in general that you need to have some kind of long-term view? You don't make hasty decisions, even democratically. Like if one day Ross Perot or Donald Trump or or, um, AOC or somebody can convince a majority of people to push your lever to say, let's change everything in a minute, was part of the wisdom of our founding fathers as well as the people who made charters in New England to say, let's not make it so easy to change. Let's keep looking at it like jewish law right let's keep looking at it and thinking how we have to adapt to changing times but let's not just always change things back and forth the um i remember quickly.
1: reading a, um, about uh, corwin's living constitution it was a um really an important principle of the united states constitution because it's very difficult to amend and thank goodness it's difficult to amend um for the most part there are a few things i would like to amend in the united states constitution but uh God forbid we should open it up to do those things because there could be other problems with that. Keith and City Charters says
0: WMB is the best audio system in the world, DBJ audio system. Thanks for listening, Keith. <laughs> we love listening to the music you bring and for up to me, like I'm not ever going to be in government, I would have given him another venue because we had another venue downtown that he would have just made great like this. So Steve hand it. they <laughs> yes. call you in. And you work with all the personalities, you put your views out of the picture, and you say, here's how charters work. You go to long meetings that could just make you want to jump out a window, right, for four hours. Well, you're, you're good at long meetings. I never I'm very person. good at long meetings. And, like they, and you spent a year with Hamden. Two years. Two years, saying, with a committee of people, saying- Two how, different commissions. Should the rules change? And one of the big questions is one we hear a lot, which is that we tend to have two-year terms for mayor. And a lot. I realize it's an elite position. I guess I must have like a elite, elitist biases I don't like to admit, because I have always with that group who said, you should really be a four-year mayor, because when it's two years, you're running for your election almost the right away. You don't make long-term decisions. Every two years, you put off a tax increase so you don't have to run on it, and then it's twice as big a tax increase and in WAPs people the next year. But other people say, well, you know, democracy is, you're always accountable. And it doesn't mean every decision goes up to a referendum vote, but- you know, you're always accountable if you come up. So in Hamden, there was an argument about the biggest thing was to go to a four-year term.
1: That passed. How did, what did it take to get there? What were the arguments in your view? Well, I'm going to tell you something. Um, I was just talking about this last night. I, I represent Stanford. I'm doing their charter right now. And we were just talking about, uh, it was my first meeting with the commission. And they were trying to figure out what we need to do. How do we get things to pass? Do I have a theory of the case? And I was explaining what happened on Tuesday to describe how my theories of the case don't always work out. Uh, Normally, I would recommend in a community, if you're doing something like moving from a two-year term to a four-year term, that you list it as a separate question. But I have to say that in the two charter processes that we had in Hamden over the last three years, um, the first one failed at the Legislative Council. It was killed uh, during the mayoral election campaign for very political purposes. We don't need to get into tonight. But um, there was not a lot of controversy. In the second round, you had a number of people... um, conservatives, for the most part, who were in favor of keeping the the, the two-year term. But one of the things I persuaded Hamden to do, and I'm very proud of them for doing this because <clears throat> a lot of legislators um, don't have the uh, wherewithal to, to do this, is I, I recommended that they maintain a two-year term for their city council, for their mm-hmm. legislative council. And I've said that is the check on the mayor's four-year term. Like if, Congress, like Congress, if a Amer- and I made this argument when I was an alder in New Haven in the nineteen eighties, I had always advocated. Um, they may not hire me again for doing for saying this. I always advocated reducing the New Haven Board of Alders from about thirty. Well, that was 15. the other
0: position that some of us have always had. Yeah. That each one would have more power and they might be able to make better big term decisions. But other people say mm-hmm. everyone likes to know they're alder by having more and they form coalitions and. And it's up to the mayor's people to
1: do the big policy. Regardless. Thinking. But yeah. whether it's 30 or 15, I always believe nine, that if like you... like Hartford, six, nine, six and three at large. Uh, we'll talk, we can talk about that in a second because I think there's big problems with the way Hartford is structured. But, uh, and, um, but the fact of the matter is, um, the objective is you don't need to have the same term as the mayor. It gives you more power as a legislator if you're running every two years because you're the check against the mayor in that off year. And mm. um, a mayor could bring in a ticket... On the year that he or she is running, and have a lot of um, em- a lot of wasted seats of people who probably shouldn't be there. But in the off cycle, in your neighborhoods, whether it's fifteen uh, districts or thirty districts, thirty wards, um, you have a greater ability to. In- so, to how much did it pass by in Hampton? I-, I don't know the exact numbers, but I think it was two to one. It's pretty, oh, wow. sub- pretty substantial. Now, but the
0: year before, you couldn't get it over the line. So, is it is one of the lessons that you don't do it on a year? when municipal candidates are running, because it gets too tied into what factions are competing for other reasons, or is that an anti-democratic notion in and of itself? It in fact should be up when people are voting for municipal candidates.
1: I think it should be up whenever you put it on the ballot. I think what happened in Hamden was an example of uh, some politicians not looking at the big picture. Um, There was a resignation of the president of the um, legislative council two weeks before our final vote. Mm. And... uh, there was a battle over who was going to be the replacement president. One of the candidates um, decided that uh, they wanted they wanted the votes of the Republicans who were not supporting the, the charter, and, uh, and that killed it. That just killed and then it. another big question, Very- New Haven, we've had the
0: experience where people think they have support for a major change, but then they have to get the voters to approve it in a referendum. And then the decision becomes, do you put all your changes in one package and try to get it over the line? Or do you break it up? Because in New Haven, I feel that we could have had four-year terms. I think it was in 1990s when we did it, if I'm not mistaken. And then there was a different item that got firefighters and a developer named Wendell heart mad. And they got their forces to kill everything because it was on the same measure. Yeah. What did you do in Hamden? Were all the items bunched together? They in were one? all together. In
1: Hamden, what's your thinking on that? Well, my thinking is the following. And this will be a very interesting story. Both in Hartford and in Hamden, there were... There was one question, do you support the charter proposed by the Charter Commission and approved by the council um, in Hartford or in Hamden, period. End of story. That's it. To find out what's in there, you have to look at the explanatory text that I prepared for the two communities. You would have to look at the red line charter, the published charter. Um, so a voter going in there doesn't know when they go in there. So is that good? Don't we want people to I know? prefer to have people, what I prefer is a, what I call an omnibus question. Uh, the omnibus question, which we used in Fairfield, and it took uh, end up a lot of criticism, so there's no right way to do this, where you have eight or nine different things that are set forth in the omnibus question that lay out the critical items.
0: So even uh, there, they put it all in one, but they listed the They language. listed, and the
1: criticism was, well, if I wanted to vote against that, I couldn't do it, so I'm going to vote against everything. Well, that's the risk you run when you do the omnibus question, but at least you are revealing to the public what the major elements of the charter revision are. And so the real question then becomes for a commission, not for a commission, but for the appointing authority, uh, how many questions do we want to list on the, on the ballot? Do the, you know, um, and, uh, I have a feeling in, in, in Fairfield, if, um, we did four, they would have, uh, the opposition would have said, well, we should have had six because how many tuitions, were there on that one, no, one? How
0: many were listed in that omnibus? How many changes?
1: About nine or 10 changes in the omnibus. Plus we did the explanatory text. So, and,
0: and then, and then they, do you think that's why it lost
1: there or was it politics? That killed it was the, pure politics. It was a, a case of pure politics. And what I, was I, it
0: against it? Just people bringing in like Fox news conspiracies that had nothing to do with
1: these questions. Well, it was Fox news of the left. It was, uh, the Democrats who brought it down because a, a Republic, in my view, uh, this is just my observation, having spent nine or 10 months watching it. Um, they, a Republican became the first select woman of Fairfield and, um, there was a big scandal. In fact, on Monday of this past week, the former public works director pled guilty uh, to an indictment in federal court uh, for corruption and uh, dealing with a, a landfill. I don't know all the details of it. And uh, they decided they were going to convene charter revision to try to make this old document uh, more um, um, clear, have it more linear, et cetera. And, and I think the first black woman had some objectives, wanted to move the the structure of the government in a different direction. But once she noticed that there was resistance, uh, the major uh, approach she was taking is let's clean up the document, not make any structural changes. Mm-hmm. No matter what was done, um, um, the opposition would continue to find a new thing to And what
0: what happened to Berlin? Why did that go down?
1: Berlin was interesting. Berlin had four questions. Three of them were relatively innocuous. The fourth question, which I actually did some legal work on, was in Berlin, uh, under their charter, if you live in Berlin, you are entitled to have government-paid VNA service, Visiting Nurses of America, That's in 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 their charter. Was there even a VNA when they wrote the charter? Uh, There was a VNA at some point when they amended their charter. I don't know if it was there back at the beginning, and the city fathers and mothers have said, my God, we're losing money. We just can't afford this. And can we move it out of the charter, make it an ordinance, and see if we can modify, um, uh, modify the way we administer it. But with it being in the charter, it is mandatory. We have to, uh, we have to in fact, provide the service. Did they service.
0: put, again, all four in one question? No, there were
1: four separate questions, but all four questions went down. Why did they all go down? I, I think it was just the power of the opposition to the one. Uh, one of the problems with the charter is it's not like being on the floor of a legislative body where you will take um, the time on each amendment to vote separately and allow you to and distinguish. Why, by the way, going back to four-year terms, why do you support a four-year term? Well, for the reasons that uh, a lot of people do. I do think mayors, we we need to have more continuity in, in our government. Um, and I think that uh, a four-year term does allow for you to bring in a team to a community, you might bring people in from out of out of out of town to uh, head up departments uh, that are not going to necessarily move to a community where they um, are hired by somebody who may just say so you're a tutor saying give them time, to even, to even though a department heads give them Haver- time
0: to accomplish goals,
1: give, give them time to plan and accomplish. What were there the other two questions on the um,
0: on the Hamden? Another one was about a police commission, right? What was that about?
1: Well, the police commission section has been substantially modified to really. Um, to really encourage more citizen participation, why We've is expand- that a charter? As opposed it's to a constitutional ordinance. document, the charter has the police commission right now as a five member commission. Right.
0: Why can't we have ordinances about the? police commission? Well,
1: we commission? could. You know, and maybe ten years from now they will.
0: Why did they do it as charter? I
1: think they put it as a, a constitutional standard to try to establish in the ch- the a culture in a culture of citizen participation in the so city. So, what specifically does it say? It says a number of things. One, we expand the commission from five members to nine members. Mm -hmm. Uh, The nine members have to be representative of each of the council districts in the the city, in the town. For diversity. For diversity, for for geographic diversity. Uh, We have new elements of the charter that really, uh, with a DEI commission, that will be taking a look at other elements of diversity on the the commission as well. Uh, We have requirements for that commission and others. That uh, people come from different backgrounds. We don't want to have nine lawyers. But you could put in,
0: what kind of wording do you put? In the charter? About how you assume they have different backgrounds.
1: Well, you talk about uh, that a mayor should take into account a diversity of backgrounds. In this particular case, uh, people on the police commission should uh, come from um, uh, the civic community, from the not-for-profit community, could be from the legal community, could be from uh, the faith-based community, just a variety of... Of attributes not necessarily um, job skills per se and the third and the third one was finance finance Commission they created a finance Commission in Hamden uh, not to serve as a board of finance but to serve as kind of a buffer between the mayor and the council to allow uh, for an independent body uh, that's appointed by actually a majority by the council minority by the mayor uh, to take a look at the underlying numbers in the budget to be able to report to the council that the mayor's numbers are founded in fact and not in hope. And so the idea of that commission was not to usurp any authority, either of the mayor or of the council, but to provide the council with um, people who have some expertise. In that case, we do have um, qualification standards. They're pretty broad, so you could be a, somebody who owns a Seven Eleven and be on the commission because you have a business background, um, and the idea is to really provide that kind of assistance to the uh, council. They so have,
0: bottom line, do yeah. you think that town should narrow the number of questions they put on a ballot and make them separate so you don't bring them all down? Or do you believe they should all be in one? And if they're one, do you believe it should be omnibus or just vaguely
1: worded? I would prefer the omnibus. Two of my commissions went with the vaguely uh, worded, uh, and they both passed. My omnibus failed. Um, and uh, one of my towns had a very, what is normally a controversial issue in, um, in a vaguely worded uh, question, and it passed uh, in another town. But why it, do you, I get the omnibus
0: compared to the vague wording because you want people to know what they're voting on, but why don't you want to break it down? Why do you want... Although yeah. e- your example in Berlin is even though they were breaking down if people are against one they vote against them in all.
1: Bridgeport we did it in Bridgeport we broke it down into two or three different questions but there was an overwhelming question regarding the composition of the board of education killed everything else mm-hmm. so my view on it is it's really up to the people who are advocating the charter to so is the wording less important
0: than whether people actually for it or not. I'm making a big deal about how, because we my lesson from New Haven was break them down so you don't bring it all down. But your, your point that this it stuff can go matters. Either way, it, it can go their, either in way in any
1: town. really depends on the community. And I really I really do say at all times, and I've said this in Hamden, I, I said to the president, we probably should have a separate question on the four-year term because they can be controversial. They dodged a bullet. No one organized against it. So now this year, how many are you doing? For, are you starting now for next year? I'm how doing two times? right now, and I have two others that I've been talking Stanford about. Stanford and I'm what? doing Stanford and Norwalk. Are you going to do New Haven? If New Haven does it later this sure I hope so. Are, are they doing? They they're up. Their ten years is up, so they'll, they'll be doing. Uh, I don't think they have plans to do a massive charter, but there is probably some cleanup that they would. Do you think need they'll do, do four year commission or four year mayor? Don't know the answer. I don't know. All what right. We're think. talking to Steve Mendick. I'd be surprised if they didn't at least raise it. Whether Steve they Mendick
0: them. is a man in the moment here on Dateline, New Haven, WNHHFM. He's a recording artist. He started a career, second, second career later in life without abandoning the first. He's a lawyer, very involved in politics since the 70s and then lawyer since the 80s. He's been in elected office. He's been involved in state, national, local politics, but he's also the guru. He's the guru of charters, which matter more than 99% of the politics and government and elections news we see on TV but you hardly hear about him. He's the person they call to put aside his own views and help cities and towns figure out how to update their charters for a modern age, which are their constitutions. And um, we're talking to Steve on Dateline, New Haven 1, 3.5 FM, live streamed at newhavenindependent.org
1: But Steve, that let me before we get to the music, what was your take on what happened nationally Tuesday night? Before we say that, let me just tell you something, because you said I put aside my views, and I really do. But um, in Hamden... Under the last cycle, which became very partisan, uh, I was accused of writing a left wing manifesto. Well, you're always gonna be. I mean, this environment everyone's accused of being partisan.
0: Like in the independent, we of course are biased like everybody, but we try not to be. And anytime we just write what happened, and if we know for a fact we're not trying to steer it, people still accuse us and they're often wrong about what our personal views are. They often accuse us because we're reporting something that we have a bias. Like for instance, two people run for treasure and they both said their backgrounds make them better for it. And I actually didn't have an answer on that. Well, it was better to have worked specifically in finance or to be the lawyer doing financial deals. And the, one of the candidates, the Republican candidates, accused me of being incredibly biased. And I asked him why. I said, because, you know, sometimes I am. I try not to be. But, you know, in this case, when I wrote that story, I really felt like I was just stating what you guys just said, and I didn't have an opinion. He said, because it's so obvious that the other guy's not qualified, the fact that you presented them, that's called both-sizerism. It's usually left to object to that. Gotcha. Them. And sometimes it isn't bad to do both-siderism when the facts are so overwhelmingly on way like if something's illegal or not it either is no, gotcha. but I find do you find that too that right now it's hard in America, well, civic life to give legal advice to write an article to make a speech to <laughs> sell that information that isn't just accused of being biased because everything's so polar well the
1: point the point I was going to make uh, was that in Hamden I was accused of writing a left-wing manifesto same lawyer a year later was accused of being part of a right-wing cabal uh, by those who are opposing the Republican uh, majority uh, Board of Select Persons in Fairfield. Um, neither is true. Uh, the advice I was giving in both communities is pretty close. Uh, you try to contour your documents to the culture of a community, uh, so I don't come in with my my own concept of what Mednicktown would be, the perfect mm-hmm. Mednicktown charter. Um, so you do, and I have found in the last couple of years much more partisanship and ideologi ideological activity, so how many years have you've been working on charters oh my god i I think I did my first charters in the nineties uh, i did i mean obviously was involved in charters when I was an older, but as a outside attorney is I, the diff- is, are, are you the accused
0: more of being biased than you used to be
1: i don't get accused of being biased very much, but uh, twice but, in the last two years, and uh, had it happened before that? not really, not that I could recall do you attribute that to the the, the the increase in partisanship or- I think so I mean look I have friends to this day from my you asked me about my first charter was in New Britain um, I talked to the New Britain Republican registrar voters once a month at least and we're Facebook friends we argue on Facebook but we've been friends since the charter revision because I reached out to make sure that the Republicans at that time it was a fairly dominant Democratic culture were heard at the charter commission and that there were victories for Republican concepts because most of the stuff you do in a charter is not ideological. It's not left and right. It's not conservative and, and liberal. And, uh, so yeah, so I, I pride myself on the relationships with the people who are in the minority parties in all the communities I'm involved in because I put a very high premium on making sure that everybody's heard. Mm-hmm. And that, that, and that gives it a better chance to pass. Yeah, no, absolutely. If you have both town committees, supporting the charter you're in good shape and isn't
0: a lot of it updating it like just the legal language doesn't work anymore
1: well legal language doesn't work sometimes you're you're referring to the court of common pleas which hasn't existed for 40 years in connecticut (laughs) um fines uh, that were created in 1957 uh from the court of common pleas yeah do not work uh in 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 2022 so there's a bunch of when was it eliminated when was what eliminated the court of common sometime in the late 50s early actually in the in the late 60s i think in early 70s there was still mm-hmm. a court of common pleas when I was a, a young man, but before I was a lawyer. So. All right. So now tell me about how you felt about the
0: larger results on Tuesday. they was kind of interesting. I don't want to say I was thrilled. Um, because everyone was expected a blowout of Democrats, yeah. Trump on the rise, Trumpian yeah. candidates. The the story in August was Democrats are going to defy the big losses <laughs> of like like me. mid-year yeah. midterm yeah. elections because of the abortion decision, because January 6th Commission, and because Donald Trump had elevated... Really extreme right wing candidates in primaries, sometimes with the help of Democrats. I will never forgive them for that. You know, and they criticize the repub- moderate Republicans who don't speak up against Trump, then they finance Trumpian candidates in primaries so that they can run against someone they considered weaker. But that's a whole nother conversation. But, but uh, it looked that way that it was going to fight. Then uh, two weeks ago, it looked like the Republicans were on this huge march to a big red wave election because everyone's talking about inflation except Democrats and crime except Democrats Then election day came and it came with kind of pretty much a watch with some modest gains for Republicans, far less than you usually find on a midterm election against the party in power. Would you say that is your take also?
1: Yeah, I'm pleased that we got as far as we did. When you consider the power of Fox News and yeah. the right wing media yeah. in in distorting what power their do news. they have with the independents? That's my question. Don't they, know the answer. Connecticut, I mean, we have yeah. over
0: a million independents. They're yeah. the biggest party. Only four hundred fifty thousand change Republicans, eight hundred thousand change Democrats. So they're the party. They decide it. And clearly, all the Democrats won in Connecticut. I would argue, even though it's not my preferred outlook on things, I would go more to the left that they're really what the Republican Party used to be is now the Democratic Party in Connecticut for state offices, not Congress people, which is very strict fiscal discipline, like putting money in the rainy day fund rather than spend it all to get early votes, but also don't tax the rich. They pay like one third of what teachers and and nurses and cops pay percentage wise in taxes. And uh, they won't, and Lamont will always protect his people in Greenwich from marginal tax rates increases, you know, on on income tax. But they're also environmentalists, they're pro-choice, and the Republican Party really seems to have moved far to the right, even here, in the candidates they put up. Greenwich was taken over by Trumpists, so now Greenwich voted Democrat, Westport voted Democrat, Madison voted Democrat. Am I missing something here? Or is that the-
1: no, I think, that, I think that there is a trend in that direction with the, um, the unaffiliated voters that uh, um, supporting the one party, the only party that is still supporting small d democracy. Uh, I don't think it has to do with. Although people the didn't talk about democracy much, they did talk about abortion. They
0: did talk about Trump as a figure. They did talk about.
1: Well, I think there was more talk about democracy elections. than there's Yeah, yeah. About, yeah. they talked yeah. about whether
0: it's Look, if election you lose can be valid or not. Oh. Yeah.
1: When you watch the news, um, as I have all my life, you see these uh, you see these arcs during the the campaign process where the Democrats are up on abortion and they're down on the economy. And then this happens and that happens. Uh, I don't think that uh, the networks are pleased with with um, a, a constant trend. I think that they're comfortable as trends change because more people are going to watch when the horse race gets a little more exciting. And and I, I think you see it. I think a lot of it is um, created by the media. And, and, and it's really... Um, it's really agonizing. Uh, you sound like and, the uh, and they got Trump wrong. right-wingers who are no, mad at the media. No, you, you, no, no. You got it, They got it wrong. They, they got it so wrong this year uh, in terms of the trends in the last few days. Um, I don't think they got it so wrong. It was all within the margin of
0: error, and they still are. It's just that we all thought we because thought of, of the movement, the momentum was so much. There was a, like a 35% switch in just a month of independent women, white yeah. women in suburbs they went from almost 20% for Democrats to almost 20% for Republicans that's a huge unbelievable shift yeah. and so with that kind of momentum we thought all those candidates would get over bolduck the republican in new hampshire would get over in the senate race that even patty
1: murray was in well that was the story even it just not I mean, So but out if you
0: looked at the truth. actual polling data Steve, wasn't it all within two points in margin of error? And Whether that's where it was it or it wasn't,
1: let's say your your point is correct. Then why was that the story? Why was the story that Bolduc was going to win? That the governor, of, uh, governor Whitmer was going to uh, lose? That the governor of Wisconsin was going to lose? Why were those the stories that everybody was leading on? And if you watch the last few days, even on MSNBC, I was sure it was
0: going to be a wipeout. Yeah, yeah,
1: on MSNBC, they're talking about the Democrats don't know how to talk about the economy. The Democrats depended too much on abortion. Now, the conversations today is yeah. abortion turned out to be a bigger issue. Yeah. It's as big issues everybody issue. It and it's I, harder than
0: ever to poll, as you yeah. know. But it's usually the Trump people who are undercounted because they don't speak to pollsters or they don't feel socially acceptable to give that number. And it's always been undercounted until this election. Yeah. Steve, do you remember an election before where the Democratic count was undercounted? Because this is the first one I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I think uh, it, it's right. Look, this is a very unique election. Joe Biden. Uh, has really broken, even if we lose the House, as I think we might. But it's by so little that they're
0: going to tear each other apart.
1: Yeah, I think it's really... But the Senate's key. It is still key. We have to win the Senate because that's the judicial appointment. Which is still up. Do you think think
0: Kelly's going to hold on Arizona? Because there are two seats that Democrats need to get to 50. They need two out of three of the remaining seats. They need... Um, New Mexico, where the candidate is down with three quarters of the ballots, but the ballots being counted are hers for the most part. So that's going to be close. I think she
1: has a shot. Uh, I think Kelly's going to win. Kelly's Uh, in Arizona. I think Kelly will win. Do you think Carrie Lake, the governor there? Because I think she's the next Trump. I think Carrie, that's a closer race. It's it's a a closer race. Well, uh, the analysis is uh, if um, if they break the way they did in 2020, then Carrie Lake will win. If they break Why? the way- 2020, oh, 2020, I yeah, it broke for Biden at the end. It did, well, it didn't break for Biden. The last votes that were coming in, Biden's margin was narrowed oh, all oh. the time. In 2018, it was the opposite. Mm. And so if the margin still narrows, oh, so Kelly has the proportions to win if they follow the 2020 uh, trend. Or 2018. Or 2018. It was certainly 2018. And he's up by three But if they yeah. follow the trend on the governor's side lake could win and then but, the big the big question but no is one be, knows what they're saying is no one truly knows what this is I so guess, if, if the
0: democrats lose both of that then even if there's one left runoff left in georgia between warnock yeah. and walker if they win one of those two then it'll be they'll need to win the runoff election number six to get back to 50 if they win both of those if i'm not mistaken steve oh, if we win both then, we're at 50 and then, and then, the, that'd be then the runoff
1: is just uh uh, maybe a little insurance that we don't have to listen. And the to runoff's
0: interesting because Warnock's a strong candidate. Walker was weak. He's the Republican, but that's Georgia. And I think the only reason they won Georgia in the first place two years ago is because Trump told his people not to vote, and Warnock was such a strong candidate. And Republicans are putting up such weak candidates. Maybe you don't agree with that. And then now neither of them got to the fifty percent threshold, which is why there's a runoff. And the reason for that is two percent went to the Libertarian. Yeah. So my question to you, Steve, Mister Politics Guru. Will those two percent His libertarians tend to be more conservative and often have to be a front for racism, although both candidates are black in this case, will they go to Walker because they tend to be more conservative? Will they not vote? Or will, without a, Repub- a popular Republican at the top of the ticket for governor and Brian Kemp, will this actually help Warnock because more Republicans will stay home who aren't enthusiastic I think the about Walker. last. I
1: think the last thing is true. I think that you, the split between Warnock and uh, Kemp... Was really substantial, and and uh, uh, unless and he unless, carried and Republicans are Republicans going to be so motivated uh, to carry the majority in the Senate? Is that um, such a clear issue to people? I think it's clear to the Democrats. I think the Democrats will vote. But I will think, Stacey Abrams be exhausted from having w- lost and not mobilized Abrams, St- But she Abr-
0: mobilized the vote two years ago. She She helped. Hopefully, she will. Her organization Uh, fair fight. Well,
1: hopefully, the two senators who've worked very closely together will be able to pick up whatever organization is there. And and I hope that Stacey Abrams will continue to do her good works for the people of Georgia. So I don't know. Don't know the answer. I don't live there. Uh, But I would think, based on uh, trends, uh, Warnock is just an outstanding senator. He is. And a a good outstanding candidate. I wish we had somebody like him in the state of Connecticut. He's just a great candidate. And I think a great senator. Well, if they need a soundtrack, they can
0: find it in the music of Steve Mendick. Steve Mendick has been just on fire. He just put out his fifth, besides being an attorney and someone involved in politics and one of our great sages on charters, he has been hitting the charts over and over again with albums of original music. And he has a new one out called 1952. If you're watching, here it is. Yeah, I'm covering. Here's the poster, which I really like. It's got kind of a... A uh, data type feel to it, I don't know, a little collage, I like it. It's about the year of your birth, mm-hmm. and uh, what's the theme of
1: this new album, Steve? Well, the theme is, uh, figure it out, 1952, 70 years ago, so I turned 70 this year, and I really wanted to put out um, a piece that was not um, um, autobiographical, but, but really was talking about the times we're living in. Sort of like Bob Dylan did the piece about the 60s, but you went back to the 50s i guess I, i'm not sure right, Steve, what let's PC tell people did. what it
0: sounds like now if you're watching this interview live facebook sometimes bounces us when we play music even though we have permission because they have these bots that don't distinguish so if you want to keep listening and it gets taken off facebook just go to the independent webpage, the new haven independent at the very top is a button you can press or go to wnhh.org And in both cases, there's a button you can press to listen to the rest of this interview in case we get bounced off of the video here on Facebook and YouTube, but we might not. And you can also obviously tune in radio continue. So version of the truth. Steve Mednick off his new album, 1952. Let's give it a whirl.
2: I like my version of the truth It gives me reason deep going on As I walk down the narrow path I call my life I like my version of the truth It gives me stories I want to hear Memories Which threw me for a while in the winter And my discontent You never know which way it goes You never really know Until you lose it Was I ever really here? Who knows? Is there an afterlife
1: The truth, yeah. A version
0: of the truth from Steve Mednick's new album Hot Off the Presses.
1: How do you like that Carl Allwire on guitar? Well, I,
0: you know, you used to be Eddie Seville doing your lead guitar chops.
1: Oh, no, no, Eddie would
0: never played lead guitar, oh, right.
1: Eddie was my producer, uh, Eddie played rhythm. Okay. Uh, okay. Carl, Carl's been playing lead for years. Billy, he's Billy a, K. I think it's
0: just great. That kind of classic rock minor chords yeah. sound. Yeah. The kind of folk rock. Yeah. I mean, I hear Tom Petty. I hear at the beginning. I was hearing a little more CSNY. But
1: little Jack Bruce in there. Right? Yeah, I, you yeah, know, yeah, From, it's from his what solo a great stuff. song.
0: Stephen Harry you. writes in. I'm a big fan of the
1: music. Not so
0: much as politics. We so respect that too. That's a good thing because I have a feeling the song you just heard. You'll be hearing a lot. Uh, WNHH because you know we have a rotation of know, only local music that we I get I permission and we hear it night and day and we hear Steve Medic all the time. Steve Medic's on Dateline New Haven WNHH FM. New Haven's home for Community Radio 1 3.5 FM. Yeah. That's pretty exciting. You got a new album out. How do people get this album Steve?
1: Um, they can go online. They can get it on Amazon. They can any number of electronic you know they can uh, access it in any number of different ways. I think I it's, what, it's all now, available. This is your
0: fifth album you've released since the pandemic began. How, it's my number? 20th album. 20th uh, album. Yeah, when 20th when album. was your first one?
1: gee whiz 2006 uh wow my very you're, first album. Here, now you're
0: the, on fire why you're a busy guy you're yeah. 70 freaking years old right mm-hmm. and you're still able to produce all these albums while you're working full-time as an attorney mm. and you got a life too yeah um what drives you to be so prolific and to work so hard at writing music recording music distributing
1: music and performing it
2: i don't know <laughs> it's okay. just that
1: it's just what i do it's um you know, I started doing this about 15 years ago, 16 years ago, and I am constantly writing. I read a lot, and when you read, you start uh, cross-pollinating. Uh, I'm reading a wonderful book uh, that is all about uh, Joseph Roth's book of Rebellion right now. It's a, ter- a terrific book. Um, um, that uh, um, and when you read a book like that, and you get the imagery of um, uh, the Germany of Joseph Roth, or the, and, uh, compared to the modern Germany, and walking through Berlin. There will be a turn of a phrase that hits you a certain way, and you just don't know when it's going to hit you, but that turn of a phrase becomes the opening of a song. I wrote a song a number of years ago called Second Heart. came from the opening line of a book uh, called The Sea by John Banfield. Well,
0: we came of age at a time when we cared about politics, society, change, values, that music was tied up in that in the way that our generation really expressed it. I mean, you were playing to Folk City when you were a kid, right? Like when you were allowed to sneak in. You know, I remember those days. Yeah. And so would it fair to say that it, you've stayed through your prime so involved in politics and government and caring what mm-hmm. happens in the world and that music has never stopped being a part of it and that later in your career you found that you could add your voice to that and that'd be one of your ways of expressing. Good way to summarize it. Expressing uh, what it is you, yeah. you care about. You
1: know, it, it's always been, I'm a keeper of the flame and I've always, throughout my career, whenever I've done anything major, I've always thought about what song should I have when we open up this program. I've always made the connection between um, some um, important song that Jackson Brown or Crosby, Stills, and Nash or Dylan, uh, was or Phil Oakes, uh, who I think is the most political of writers. He was. Um, and really one of the great writers of our time. Um, and his small circle of friends. Oh, remarkable. That's a great song. Uh, yeah, a when I heard, it
0: blew my mind when I heard that in like eighth grade or Here's grade. to the
1: state of Mississippi. Yeah. That's a great song, yeah. and it still works. So <laughs> Steve, do you play out these days? Haven't. Uh, in fact, I just had a conversation you were for a while. where, yeah, no, no, we haven't because of the pandemic. Oh, um, really? Yeah, a couple. I, I was just talking to a member of my band this morning. We we're rehearsing this evening, and and he said we have to start playing out. I said well, maybe the spring. He said, oh, I want to play out sooner than that. Let's see how. Uh, let's see how the uh, virus goes. And a lot it- of clubs are not. Uh, A lot of the clubs are not. Cafe Nine's been going strong.
0: Hmm? Matter of fact, I may be heading there tonight. Cafe Nine's been getting great acts. Cafe
1: Nine's been going, but I'm telling about the act, the places we play, the restaurants we play, haven't yet brought back a lot of acts. And they're very small. You're right on top of people. And what uh, about
0: outdoor and patios? Though
1: that's 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 changing uh, to the. So so what's next for
0: Steve Mendick? Charters and chords.
1: I'm going to do charters and more more music. I mean, I'm working on the next uh, uh, two albums right now and. and I have an album plotted out for my band for Hard Road. Uh, so I've got um, uh, all that worked out. Two and
0: albums, two charters, you're not stopping. And you are 70 now?
1: I am 70. Wow, well, you're going strong, man. is the new 40. Well, let's not go there. As I say in the album, uh, a friend of mine, my dear friend Bill Riley, once said uh, to me recently, he said, we can't say we're young anymore, Steve. And that's true. But you can continue to persevere and do what you have to do all
0: right steve what's the song we're going to take it out with i um,
1: think we're going to do fulton hill uh fulton hill is if you take a look at the album um everybody associates me with new haven and i love new haven uh, tremendously uh but the album cover is filled with waterbury and uh where i grew up and this is a song about growing up in waterbury and milford and all those other places i've lived steve thank you for joining us on dateline new haven and this is eddie seville on the harmonica Steve Mendick's Fulton Hill. Get the
0: album, 1952. Just Google it. Steve Mendick, 1952. Thanks to Harry Droz. And we're taking it out here.
2: Days I remember the days of wonder. the days times when we were younger. And the first time that I saw. The eyes of love looked at me. That's strictly wrong. Yes, mostly I remember you.